Welcome to the Collecting Confidence Podcast, where we'll explore confidence, what it is, why we need it, how we get it, and how we lose it. I'm John Barrett. Hello and welcome to Collecting Confidence. Thanks for joining me. I'm John Barrett. Today we're going to be talking with someone who has many, many years in the healthcare industry, Ginny Lukdib. And Ginny and I have known each other for a long time. I'm always very impressed by her because she always seems to have the answer and she always seems to know what she's doing. She's a very confident person, but she'll be the first to admit that she doesn't know it all. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I will say this, the people in the nursing and medical industry, I just assume that they know what they're talking about. We go to doctors, we go to nurses, we expect them to know what they're doing. I've often joked that the doctor can graduate with a 99% on his test, but he or she might have missed the appendix, and that's what we're going to have done today. Darn it, that's something I wasn't 100% confident in. So that's an important thing for me. I want to know that they are 100% confident. They know what they're talking about, but that's something that we'll talk about that she's, she's very adamant about, that you need to know your limitations and be okay with that. I will say this, there is something to looking the part of a doctor or a nurse. You instantaneously assume that that person has some knowledge, has an understanding of what they're doing and some confidence. And I think that nursing, you gather that confidence along the way. You don't just start being able to help out in the middle of the surgery. You probably start far from even being able to apply a Band-Aid in the very beginning. And you have to learn all these different things and be confident in all these different procedures. I used to give blood, I used to donate blood at Red Cross. And I would go in with a bunch of high school friends and we would tell really, really bad jokes. We would set each other up. It was a little bit like comedy night. And we would come in and and we'd all lay down and they'd start draining the blood out of our arms. And one of us would turn to the other one and say, hey, did you take a shower today? And the other one would say, why? Is one missing? Really highbrow comedy. And we would do this all the time. We would go in about every 70 days, and they got to know us. They, on a regular basis, we gave several gallons of blood, and they got to know who we were. And they got to just kind of roll their eyes and go, oh my gosh, here comes comedy hour again. But they always seemed very confident to me. They always seemed to know what they were doing and could handle the situation quite well. But then they got some new nurses in, nurses who didn't know what they were doing, nurses who looked the part as far as how they were dressed and where they were standing, but they didn't look confident. Their hands sometimes shook. Their eyes wouldn't make eye contact with us. They seemed very apologetic. They didn't know how to do an arm stick to draw blood. And these nurses would come up to us, and what happened really was the veteran nurses needed to give these nurses some practice. And by rule, Evidently, you could only stick each arm twice so they could make three bad decisions and then the real nurses would come in and make a good decision and draw our blood. But when we would come in with comedy, they would quick go and get these nurses that needed practice and say, oh, we have we got some people for you to practice on. And so these nurses would come over, but they didn't seem to know what they were doing. Now, most of those nurses probably are now many years into nursing and probably are exceptional at what they do. But at the time, they were still trying to collect confidence. And that was very obvious that they hadn't yet collected it. But it's also in that field, something where you are 
it's an ongoing thing. You are always learning new things, and there's new procedures coming in, and patients are presenting in a new way, and you go, wow, I haven't seen that before. So I do think that that's important to be aware of, that we would like everyone to be confident. We would like everyone to know what they're doing. And most people are striving toward that. But for a lot of people, even the best of the best, they're actively trying to get better. And I think that's important for you to do, to know your limitations, know who you are, and to not try to know everything. And remember that first impressions are very important. The American Journal of Psychiatry said that a first impression is made within one-tenth of a second. So when I see someone stand up to deliver a speech, I know before they've completely stood up whether or not I really want to listen to that speech. In my head, I've instantaneously made a first impression or they've made a first impression on me, good, bad, or otherwise. And then I can modify that and change it and go, you know, I really do want to listen to this person. But that's something that happens right away. We see someone, we try to fit them into what we see, what we know. And if you're trying to be a leader, if you're trying to be someone who's in charge, if you're trying to be someone who's in control, you want to make sure that you're making a good first impression, that you're dressing the part. But it is important that you are willing to seek out help. There's a lot of people here. There's a lot of great ideas. Let's take the best of the ideas. I'm confident that together we're smarter than I am by myself. And that's just one of the ways you can collect confidence. We'll talk to Jenny Luke in just a second about collecting confidence. Thanks for joining me. Stick around. Thanks for listening to the Collecting Confidence Podcast. It's my belief that everyone has experience with confidence, and we either have the trophies or the scars to show for it. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and maybe share with a friend who needs to hear this. If you have suggestions for the show, topics you'd like to hear covered, questions you'd like to have addressed, or if you just want to shoot me a line, you can go to the Collecting Confidence Facebook page or contact me directly at collectingconfidence at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to help you. Now let's go collect confidence. Joining me today is Ginny Lukib, and Ginny has 43 years in the healthcare industry. Ginny, welcome. Thank you. It's nice Glad to, to be have here. You. It's good to see you. I'm hoping we can talk about collecting confidence from the point of view of the people in the medical industry. And I'm curious what you think of when you think of confidence? What does confidence mean to you? Confidence generally means that you've done your homework, you have the knowledge or skill, and to the point where not only can you do it right, but you can't do it wrong. Nice. I like that. And in the world of healthcare, when you think of confidence, what, what images does that stir up for you? Oh, it's settling down the patient who's very anxious and nervous because you give them the impression that you know exactly what you're doing. You may not always, but you give them that impression so that they can relax some. It also means being able to do a technical procedure that looks impossible and being able to pull it off because you know what you're doing. So some of it is looking the part. Absolutely. Not unlike theater. (laughs) True. And if you are a patient, you want someone who looks confident. What are the things that help you? If you were trying to give someone pointers on how to look confident, what would you tell them? If you have a patient who asks a question that you don't know the answer to, 
rather than get that deer in the headlights look of, oh my goodness, I should know this and I don't, to simply say, you know, let me check on that a little bit because I want to be sure that I give you the exactly right information. And you can leave and come back. And in fact, I have actually even brought a textbook into a patient's room and said, you know, you might understand it better if you even just read these two pages, because it's difficult to explain and the authors explain it better than I could. So depending upon the patient and their reading level, you know, you might have to be very basic and speak at a fourth grade level, or you might be able to say, well, here's the textbook, (laughs) you know, learn it the way I did. And sometimes that first impression that you make on someone really makes them confident in you or not. I remember at one of the local hospitals, a urologist who wore Hawaiian shirts and looked very different than a doctor. But those first impressions really sort of affirm your confidence or shoot your confidence in that person. Can you think of a time when you've seen someone in the medical community that without naming names, perhaps shot your confidence when you saw them? There are those who will belittle you because you might have a different title than they do. And that can really be devastating at first until you realize that in the healthcare profession, particularly, it's a team effort. If you don't have a good housekeeper, if you don't have somebody that makes good scrambled eggs, If you don't have all of the pieces, none of the folks with the biggest titles are going to be able to succeed. And probably the best example I have of that is when I took over a medical records department that was way behind on their filing. And it was a matter of being able to count from one to 10, basically, to figure out the filing and to sort it out and to get it in charts. It was not a great intellectual effort. But I had several of the physicians who came up and said, you have done more for my practice than you can imagine because they needed to have those records complete. So even the little thing of being able to count from one to 10 made the difference for a physician who maybe was a surgeon that took apart people's bodies and put them back together again. They found the value in somebody that could count to 10. When we talk about collecting confidence, we talk about you don't just open up a box or a bottle and suddenly have a ton of confidence. So you collect it along the way. If we go back a couple of years to when you were first starting in the healthcare industry, What was the first role that you had in the healthcare industry? I was, well, I started out as a candy striper. Okay. And explain what a candy striper does. A candy striper is a very young person. I was 13 at the time, I think, maybe 14. We help out. We put fresh towels in the bathrooms. We might help feed a patient. Back in the days with mercury thermometers, we had to wash the thermometers and sanitize them so that they could be reused. And actually that was the time that got me into nursing because I was feeding a patient who passed away while I was feeding him and I didn't know it. And I 
was convinced at that point that that was never going to happen to me again. I was going to have the confidence to recognize what I was seeing. And that's what pushed me into nursing. And how confident were you at the time when you were starting as a candy striper? Very nervous. I had wonderful helpers, wonderful mentors in the AIDS. Actually, that pivotal day, they wanted to send me home. And I said, if you send me home, I'll never come back. <laughs> <laughs> I will be afraid of hospitals the rest of my life. And that's not going to happen. So I knew that I had to face the challenge, have the confidence to finish that shift, even if it only meant washing thermometers. It was a good thing to do so that I could move forward and, and progress. And then as you progress, can you think of a couple of times when you picked up a new skill and you suddenly realized, I have the confidence I can do this? The first time that I had to give a shot in school, I gave a shot to a patient during our clinicals. He looked at me afterwards and he went, that was much more painful for you than it was for me. <laughs> He could tell I was petrified. And so I, I was determined after that comment from him <clears throat> that never again would a patient know that I was nervous <laughs> when I did something. But yeah, it was the first shot I gave was really traumatizing to me. <laughs> I suspect, yes. What about you? You spent some time as a head nurse. And so you must have seen people who came into your report and, and you were in charge of them and, and they may not have had the confidence. How do you recognize that? And then how do you instill confidence into them? If that was real tough, I had an aide that didn't understand quite how to organize herself, what was expected of her. I probably worked one-on-one -on -one with her for the first three weeks that she was there, at least a half an hour a day, I would spend saying, now what are you going to do? Instead of giving her the answers, I made her come up with the answers. But I posed the questions so that she had to think it through instead of me. By having her do that homework, she developed a better thought process so that by the time she finished her orientation, she went, now I get it because I forced her to think it through herself. There was one other occasion that uh, had to do with confidence that uh, I find humorous. When I first started on a unit, I was working evening shifts. So I was the only nurse. A doctor came around to do rounds, but didn't introduce himself. He just started grabbing charts and I figured out from which charts he took who he must be. <laughs> and I had heard rumors about this doctor. So we went into the first room and he uh, instructed me on what he wanted me to do for the patient. And he repeated it about three or four times. So finally, I handed him the chart. I handed him a pen and I said, you better write it down. I'm rather slow. The whole way on rounds, he wrote down every single order. I kept handing him the pen going, I'm not sure I quite understand. 
And it was sarcastic, but he didn't know me. He didn't know that. <laughs> the next day I came to work and all of the nurses were astounded and going, how did you ever get him to write orders? He never writes his own orders. And I said, <laughs> I just told him I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> After that, we got along marvelously. In fact, when I left that job, he thanked me in front of the rest of the staff for being such a wonderful person to work with. Awesome. Because I, I wouldn't let him demean me, but he have, wasn't quite sure about that. I have heard rumors that there's an occasional doctor out there who might have some ego and might yes. be perhaps even more confident than they deserve to be. Have you ever seen, not counting the karaoke bar, someone who is more confident than they deserve to be? Oh yes, and absolutely. How do you deal with that? If it's a challenge to me. I'll debate about whether it's a valid challenge or whether it's an ego challenge. And if it's strictly an ego challenge, I may confront them and just say, no, you don't get to say that. If it's a valid challenge, then I will take my licks and say, okay, let me look into it. Let me figure this out. I'll get back to you, whatever it takes. But if it's strictly, uh, I'm better than you with no basis, then I get my back up on that. <laughs> and I know a lot of times you've been promoted and you've had different jobs. And as you come into a new job, people are going to compare you to the previous person. And a lot of times we compare ourselves to others, whether they're in our job or in our neighborhood. How does that impact you comparing yourselves to others? Well, fortunately, a few of the major jobs that I've had, there was no department and no person in the department before I got there. So I got to establish what it was. Then it's the challenge for the person coming after me, and I make sure that I never say a word about them. I appreciate that when other people do that for me as well. Coming into a new job when somebody else has had different ideas about ways to do things Usually I find it useful to find out, well, how did they do that and why? And then how about we try it this way and this is why. But oftentimes I find that the way that I did things might not be the best way or the easiest way. So it's useful to go to the people that are working in my department and go, why did they do it that way? Rather than just say, I'm not going to do it that way and find out that you're burning bridges, getting rid of information that was important somewhere along the line and, and really following things up. A lot of us so, don't want to admit that we are wrong because that will shoot our confidence and other people's confidence in us. But if we admit that we don't know everything, it can gain us a lot more confidence as well as knowledge. So we don't have to come in thinking like we know it all, because then we're going to prove that we don't. <laughs> I love the line, it's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all the doubt. Excellent. For the person who's trying to get some confidence, trying to collect confidence, how important is it to set goals? Set goals that are reasonable. And that's probably the most important part of that is... Don't set a goal of, I'm going to be proficient in everything about this job in the first week on, on the duty. So maybe the first day's goal is, 
I'm going to be able to find the bathroom and the break room without asking for directions. And the next day might be, I'm going to remember the phone number if I have to call in. And each day set a reasonable goal rather than saying, well, and by tomorrow I'll be able to disassemble this vehicle and put it all back together again and it will run perfectly. It's more like, no, today I'm going to be able to identify what that vehicle is. <laughs> by setting smaller goals like that that are achievable, you gain the confidence because you've said, well, I've had three days in a row and I've met my goal every day. I'm on the way. I'm doing fine. But the people that set a goal of, oh, I'm going to lose 100 pounds, are more likely to fail and lose their confidence. Whereas if you set a goal saying, I'd like to lose one pound this month. Well, if you end up losing five pounds that month, just think of how you've overachieved. <laughs> and maybe you won't lose 100 pounds, but if you achieve those small goals, you're more likely. How important is it to have a mentor or someone you can look up to, someone you can follow who can give you some advice? It's useful, but they might have different directions that they're going than you are. So I find it most useful to have two or three people that I can go to advice for. Mm -hmm. That way I can evaluate what fits my personality, my style. They've got great ideas, but it's not a direction that I could possibly achieve well and see what fits best. So having several different people that I can look up to is much more useful to me. Mm -hmm. I, I was reading something the other day that said 73% of the people have a fear of speaking in public, but there are a lot of fears within the healthcare community. People can be afraid of blood, can be afraid of disease, can be afraid of germs. If you're a person who has a fear, but you're in the middle of that fear, how do you deal with that? How do you address that? Smile. Actually, uh, when you're feeling out of control, it's useful to just look in the mirror and smile. Because there's something in your brain that when it sees you smile, your brain thinks you're happy hmm. and it convinces you and you do feel better even from a simple thing like, like just smiling or telling yourself. It's a way of, of quietly telling yourself things are under control. Now, fears, one of the greatest ways to conquer fears to me is doing my homework, understanding, doing research, looking things up. But that's because I tend to be data-driven and fact-driven, and I like to know what's going on. So that works well for me, but it doesn't work well for everybody. There are plenty of folks, as we're learning, that aren't data-driven, and that might not conquer their fears. There are people that have strengths and there are people that have weaknesses and many people have both. And when you're in a job, <laughs> how important is it to play to your strengths? It depends on the job. Uh, some jobs don't allow you that opportunity to pick and choose. If they do, it's great to say, well, I'm going to pursue this avenue because I know that I'm really good at, at pulling together a report or I'm really good at doing a presentation. And there are others that would say, oh, I'm not any good at doing a presentation, but they don't have that choice. So when you have to conquer your weaknesses, 
the best mental attitude that I have is to say, I might not be the greatest at giving a presentation, but I know that I'm really good at this. So if I can weave this particular aspect into the presentation, then it'll make it stronger. So you try and, and merge the, the strengths and weaknesses or use the strengths to buck up the weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I'm not good in a crowd, but I'm good one-on-one. -on -one. Okay, so if I have to do something in a crowd, I'm going to single out one person as if they're the only one there. Good. You've got a few years of healthcare under your belt. What would current day Jenny have to say to that 13-year-old who was just getting into being a candy striper? Whoa. <laughs> uh, don't limit yourself. That I think that would be it. When I was in school for my nursing degree, it was a two-year degree, and we kept being told, you will be a bedside nurse only. That's what we're training you for, is to be a bedside nurse. You'll never be a head nurse. You'll never be in charge. Those are degree positions. You're a bedside nurse. The last three jobs that I got required a bachelor's with a master's preferred. And I applied for them anyway with my associate degree because I felt like I could do the job. Fortunately, the people that interviewed me agreed. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was a matter of, okay, if I had followed the direction of this is the limits of your education, so this is the, your limits, it's like, no, I can do more than that. I'm capable of more than that and I push myself. And is there an area in the healthcare that maybe you had a lack of confidence, maybe you still have a lack of confidence, a nagging thing that you always had to try to deal with? Dealing with people that don't have good news, the patients that have poor prognosis, patients that you can't fix. Mm -hmm. In the medical field, we want to fix everything. And that's probably the biggest frustration for me. You can't fix everything? Yeah. And you can't know everything, or you shouldn't pretend you know everything. Oh, you shouldn't. Definitely, you should not pretend you know everything in healthcare. <laughs> That's a very dangerous thing to do. <laughs> if you had one bit of advice here as we go off, what would be that advice for people who are trying to collect confidence along the way? Smile. People want you to succeed. They want to depend upon you and believe in you. And don't discourage them from doing that. So be honest when you don't know, but find out. And just give them that encouragement. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for being here. And we'll have to have you back on because I know you're also an actor and a playwright. And we'll talk with you about that coming up in a few weeks. Okay. Thanks, Thank Jenny. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Today's tip for collecting confidence, you don't have to know it all. Be comfortable in what you know and in your ability to learn more. This has been the Collecting Confidence Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm John Barrett.